I have some really exciting news for listeners of the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Most people think lifestyle investing is about making more money or creating additional passive income streams. And while that is part of it, the most savvy lifestyle investors understand that having a solid tax strategy is fundamental and really foundational to creating wealth. I firmly believe that having the right tax strategy is the single best investment that you can make. I know tax strategy isn't the sexiest topic, but once you understand a few key elements to the IRS playbook, the compounding benefit you receive year after year is enormously significant. In fact, we have members inside the Lifestyle Investor Mastermind who have used these strategies and have saved hundreds of thousands of dollars, and in some cases, millions of dollars. This is not a nice to have if you're interested in growing your wealth. This is a must. In our brand new tax strategy masterclass, I have hand-selected and shared the details of the 28 most valuable strategies to help you increase your tax savings this year and for years to come. Plus, if you want to hire a top-tier tax strategist, it can easily set you back tens of thousands of dollars, if not more. And you want to make sure that you have the best, most accurate information to ensure that you're hiring the right person for you. That's why we included a whole section with advice, resources, and multiple interviews with my personal tax specialists to help you build a bulletproof tax team, but for a fraction of the cost. The entire tax strategy masterclass was designed for people like you who want to keep more of their hard-earned money without having to sift through the complicated tax code. If you're interested, head over to lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax to learn more about the course or set up a free consultation call with our team at lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash consultation. Again, that's lifestyleinvestor.com forward slash tax. I do have an extra layer that is not necessarily a financial layer, but it is a layer of making the world a better place. I start with that layer be it a product, service, it has some sort of net positive vision for the world. And you can achieve that many ways. Welcome to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. Imagine being able to earn passive income, build long-term wealth, while gaining total freedom from your business or job. That's what lifestyle investing is all about. I'm your host, Justin Donald, and in less than two years, my investments drove enough passive income for both my wife and me to quit our jobs. And now I want to show you how to do the same. I want to teach you how to create wealth without creating a job. You'll learn the exact same investment strategies I use to multiply my net worth to over eight figures all before the age of 40. If you want to learn all about low-risk cash flow investing, achieve financial freedom, and live the life you truly desire, this podcast is going to show you exactly how to do it. Today, I'm talking with Taro Isokaupila, a self-proclaimed Finnish nomad turned into a fungi-loving foodpreneur who built an eight-figure mushroom empire. Taro capitalized on a time when the health and wellness industry was booming marrying his family's farming background with a market opportunity. And with that, Four Sigmatic was born. As a 13th generation family farmer, Taro's exposure to mushrooms started a lot earlier than other kids. And throughout his life, mushrooms just kept popping up. 
Realizing some of their major health benefits, Taro grew obsessed experimenting and concocting herbs and natural products. Today, Four Sigmatic is an omnichannel brand selling nutrient-dense, really good-for-you, everyday magic products like mushroom coffee and plant-based protein. In this episode, you're going to be learning, one, how a farm boy from Finland started and scaled an eight-figure mushroom coffee company that served over 100 million customers, two, the risks and rewards of investing in the CPG category, both from a private equity and a venture capital perspective, and three, Taro's criteria for reducing risk and evaluating which companies to invest in. One more thing before we get to today's interview. Taro has a special gift for Lifestyle Investor podcast listeners. If you want to save some money and get mushroom coffee delivered directly to your doorstep, Taro is giving you a 20% discount on your first Four Sigmatic subscription order. To get access to this gift, visit justindonald.com forward slash 81. Thanks for listening. And without further delay, my conversation with Taro Isakaupula. All right, Taro, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thanks for joining. And I'm excited to just have a continuation of the last amazing conversation that we got to have together. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to talk about all things investing. Oh, I love it. Well, you've got a lot of experience here, experience both with hands-on, but also hands-off. And so I, I want to dig into all this. I really enjoyed our conversation at our mutual friend, Khalil Rafati's place, Sun Life Organics. We got some smoothies, acai bowls, kind of hung out. And I got to tell you, I, I shared this with you after the fact, but our conversation is easily my favorite conversation I've had with anyone this month and, and potentially even anyone this year. I just thoroughly enjoyed the depth, the presence, just all the cool things that we got into. So I just want to thank you for your willingness to continue this uh, with you know more than just me, with, our, with my audience. Thanks. Yeah, I loved it as well. It's also easy to meet up in the beginning of the year. So you become the best of the year easier. You know, it's like February is a good time to meet people. That's right. Yeah, without a doubt. So obviously your your claim to fame, if you will, is this incredible company for Sigmatic. And I want to get into that. But before we get into it, I want to kind of hear more about your story because you are Finnish. You're from Finland. You moved here. And I've got to imagine this is just, you know, a whole different world on many levels. And, you know, I'm curious, first and foremost, what it's like being an entrepreneur in Finland and then moving, you know, here, your business here and becoming an entrepreneur in the U.S. Yeah, well, some facts as an entrepreneur are stable wherever you operate, right? You want to seek alpha in different ways, right? As an entrepreneur. Um, and then some are very cultural, for example, usually people related. So customer relations um, and consumer relations and everything that is unique. Um, America and Finland are similar in certain ways, in certain ways, very different. And I think there's much more of an entrepreneurship culture in America. So people, there's, it's a big country. There's a lot of entrepreneurs, people, very optimistic, very positive, very social, very driven, very ambitious. Finland is more historically an engineering country. And 
you know, there's free healthcare, free education. So that actually leads a lot of people to like be comfortable in a non-entrepreneurial world because there is this safety net versus I always thought if you have a safety net, you should really go for it because now if you fall, you're kind of okay. But funny enough, I think America is much more entrepreneurial. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because I was just learning some some data. I was at a a Tiger 21 national conference and uh, one of the speakers was talking about how entrepreneurial the U.S. is compared to a lot of other nations, a lot of, you know, big nations around the world. And in many instances, it's kind of frowned upon in other countries. Like it's not good to be an entrepreneur, whereas in the U.S., it's it's very highly desirable. People desire that and it's praised. And so I'm curious what that is like in Finland. Obviously, we know what that's like here. I think there's more and more. uh, Finland has had a lot of tech success, some bigger companies like Nokia in the telecom, but then Gaming, Angry Birds, so the parent company of Rovio, Clash of Clans called Supercell, lately a food delivery company called Vault. So there's been a few success cases, so there's more of that culture, but definitely Finland, it's not frowned upon, but it's not the peak success in society. And and uh, I would say like I grew up on a farm and then I grew up passionate about health foods, organic foods. So I'm like a farm boy, hippie, who was an entrepreneurial. So definitely when I started from Finland as well. So when I started, all the things I was into were not cool. They were nerdy or weird. And now health and wellness, food and beverage, startups, entrepreneurship, those are like the hottest things ever. And funny enough, also Finland is now, I think, two or three years in a row, the happiest country in the world. So Finland is finally getting some attention globally. So but growing up, that was not the case. And the path I chose was definitely not sexy or desired by most. Well, it's great that we were talking about this the other day, that it's so cool that being healthy is cool, that today it's a lifestyle. These are lifestyle choices. It's not a fad that it's it's cool to be healthy. It's cool to be smart. It's cool to be educated. It's cool to to learn and grow and have mentors and all these things that were maybe frowned upon in the past. And so I love it. You're obviously really fit yourself. It's interesting, probably going from a country where people are really fit. Quality of life is great. You come to the U.S. from a fitness standpoint, the, the U.S., our, our media and our average is really disturbingly unhealthy. And we talked a little bit about that and some of you know the stats that you've dug into for your upcoming book. Yeah, I mean, um, America is a huge country. You know, I, I believe the third most populous country ahead of Indonesia and just behind China and India. And there's a lot of people. In America, you have the top of the top, like the creme de la creme here. So you meet people who are just jacked and live a long time. But the average, probably in Finland, it's more of like the average consumer does saunas and cold therapy and eats a lot of wild berries, like wild blueberries. So like the average consumer is probably a little bit healthier. And one of the most like eye-opening statistics is comparing government healthcare spending against life expectancy. So in a one way to look at the ROI or, you know, IRR of what the government spends and what we get. And the U S has much higher spend with, worse results than many other Western countries. And 
what makes it worse is the last few years health uh, life expectancy has gone down for the first time in this like modern post-war era which is alarming you know a lot of advances we made with technology healthcare medication surgery many things are now they've reached their peak and we're going down actually uh, for various reasons yeah, we should be healthier. We should be living longer. We've got better technology. We're spending more money, yet it's the opposite effect. And yeah, I think that that is alarming. And hopefully that this is a wake-up call to people that we probably need to get our act together in, in various different health categories, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious where you kind of came up with this idea for Four Sigmatic. And by the way, I'm a huge fan. I use your product. I think it's great. I feel incredibly blessed that you gave me a chance to try out one of your new products, this creamer, which is awesome. But how did this come about? How did you decide, hey, mushrooms are you know amazing and we need to be consuming them more. And especially for people like me, I actually don't like mushrooms but with your product, they don't taste like mushrooms. Yeah. So I'm a 13th generation family farmer. We've had a family farm since at least since 1619. And hopefully me and my brother's kids will be the 14th generation and we can keep going. Finland is very mushroom friendly. A lot of these mushrooms grow in Finland and they're studied in Finland. So I studied chemistry and then nutrition and a little over 15 years ago, won an innovation award for discovering this mushroom variety with my friend. And um, yeah, that was the kind of the starting point. The inspiration for the coffee came from the fact that Finns drink more coffee than any other nation per capita. So like wow. almost three times as more as American, which is hard to believe when you go on the line of Starbucks and look at the size of those drinks. <laughs> but I feel like Americans, there's a lot more sugar and a, you know maybe a little less caffeine, but yeah. So during Second World War, Finland was attacked both by the Germans and the Russians, and we ran out of coffee beans and there was a shortage. So we started brewing this mushroom that grew in our backyards called Chaga, C-H-A-G-A. And then people felt great. And after the war, the University of Helsinki started studying and found out that it's probably the highest source of antioxidants in the world. So one cup of that mushroom coffee, so to say, would equal to like 30 pounds of antioxidants from carrots or many other examples. So yeah, that was, grew up on a farm, learned from my dad, who was an acronomist. My mom taught physiology and anatomy. They're part of our lineage, a lot of inspiration from coffee. Had some awesome friends who were into similar things and, you know, read books and studied and both in a school and outside of school. And that's where it came. And you know, obviously, like any company, there's been an evolution of products and what we do. But, you know, that's uh, that's the kind of the origin story for the brand. That's so cool, Taro. And, and what I also think is unique is in you starting this business, you're getting a chance to kind of work in this whole legacy space because this is number one, it, you know, it's, it's like finished traditions and kind of, you know, you, you've got this, your natural resources and what you're growing in your own blend, but then it's also like a family business or a family tradition. So there's legacy on kind of both sides uh, with your heritage, your family. And then at the same time, 
You can use this to help other people. You educate people on health. You can help people live a, a healthy life. And then while doing so, make a good profit, make a good return, have a, you know, a living. This doesn't have to be a side hustle. This is your hustle. This is your business. And so what a cool passion project that has family lineage, it has, you know, just all the different, you know, pieces that could keep someone super engaged, super focused and someone that can scale it long term. Yeah, I guess if you wait long enough, everything becomes cool eventually. I think this is <laughs> might be relevant for both nature and investing, but my father would always say that a quarter in agriculture and nature is 25 years, not three months. And I think sometimes when you think of compound interest and investing is having that longer time horizon solves a lot of problems and, and uh, you know, markets going up and down. So that same truth can be true for nature. Yeah. Well, and I know that you're, you know, a privately held company. There's tons of perks to that. Stay private as long as you can. And obviously the goal for a lot of people is to go public at some point in time. You get the revenues high enough. You get EBITDA. In some cases, EBITDA matters. In other cases, revenue matters. Generally both. And you get to a point where you can go public. You can scale this thing. You can get the, the capital that will really allows you to take it to the next level. That's hard to do sometimes staying private. But you have this beauty of kind of keeping the financials to yourself and, you know, all the, the different components. But I'd love to just have you share the success that your company's had because you're a strong eight-figure business and you have a ton of customers. I, I'd love for you to share, just brag a little bit about you know all the cool things you guys have done. Yeah, I don't know if you Finns are good at bragging, but um, we've been passionate about what we do. We love having happy customers. It's one of our three key principles. Um, we call them first principles. So having happy customers, serving nature's agent intent is a second one, and then playing to win big. That's the third one. So those are things that are important to us. And we've been grateful enough to have success. And we obviously stand on the shoulders of a lot of giants, a lot of educators who came before us. Maybe they didn't get it to mainstream America, but they did a lot of awesome work, both researching these ingredients, but also educating people about these ingredients. And I'm sure there'll be many more companies that come after us, innovating in different ways, using these nutrient-dense mushrooms and adaptogens. How many customers do you have at this point? Well, it's very hard to... So we're an omni-channel brand. We sell to over 60 countries. In overseas, we use a lot of distributors. So we sell to a distributor. A distributor sells to a store. Store sells to a customer. So there's a little bit of a data issue. Within the US, we sell both... Biggest businesses our own .com. So for Sigmatic.com, followed by Amazon, and then more retail distribution, which is a lot of these large retailers. So we have a big data gap. We have a lot of data from online and we know for sure we've served more than 100 million customers, but it's hard to know who repurchase how many times when they buy from Whole Foods or something like that. So some data is hard to come by in the retail side and international side. So we really don't know, but we do surveys and we ask people and we have indications, but we don't know. Well, that's incredible. Anytime you can be north of 100 million, I mean, anytime you can be north of 10 million, that's impressive. But 100 million 
And who knows how deep into that. But this gets back to that, the debate, right? I've got a lot of friends. I've invested a lot of money in this space where you kind of go back and forth. Do we use Amazon? Because if we do, they capture customer data, but it's access to customers we may not reach otherwise. Or do we only sell ourselves, not use Amazon and capture all that data What's the secret sauce there? What's the right split? And I've got people that are on both sides, some that are you know, exclusively through Amazon, some that are exclusively through their own website, others that kind of do a split or they limit the maximum amount allowable on Amazon. And I'm curious to figure out from you why you did so the way that you did, where it's blended. We want to serve as many people as we can. And Amazon is the important player in that. To answer the question between your own direct-to-consumer business and Amazon online sales, I would say industry and category matters. Not every category is equal. Stage of the business matters. Access to capital matters. And then a little bit of the competitive price point. But in an ideal scenario, you obviously want the customer D2C. But if you don't have ability to drive traffic to your website, and you are in a desirable category with a lot of organic queries on Amazon, this might be a more cost-effective way to grow the Amazon business. Risky, because you never know if it goes away, right? But that being said, like if you don't have massive access to capital, you're in a category where people search for those types of products, you can beat an Amazon. It's impressive scale and volume. Amazon is also shifting like any, I think, a large company, but like they're really investing in advertising, which was not the case before. They they did this um, search-based AMS advertising, and now they're definitely going in more broadly competing against Google and Facebook or Meta. So that's also shifting in the marketplace. Generally, I say eventually you are going to be on Amazon through you or others. It's very hard to prevent that. So Yeah, I'd rather manage it, I would say. Rather you manage it than someone else managing it. But I can understand both arguments and therefore industry category size, access to capital, access to qualified labor who understand these channels is all very important. So there's not one one size fits all solution managing between your own .com and Amazon. That's a very well thought out answer. And I know that there are a lot of factors, but I mean, you make a great point because Amazon is the second largest search engine. Most people don't realize that, you know, they look at Google and they probably look at whatever is in the same category as Google as maybe the next greatest, but Amazon is not far behind Google. And, And when you think about like, Hey, when you search for a product, a lot of people don't go to Google, they go to Amazon, right? Like that for a lot of people that is their default search. Yeah, and I don't know if the, my data points are valid anymore, so apologies if they're not. But I believe more than 50% of product searches online happen on Amazon. And Amazon is the number one product search engine. Out of all searches, I believe Google is number one and YouTube number two, which is another way to sell product, by the way. But as far as product goes, even if you buy it at Walmart, you're probably going to search Amazon to see what the price is, what are the reviews, are people happy with it? So it's... Very, even if you don't sell on Amazon for credibility and social proof, it's quite important channel. Yeah, that, that's, you know, it, it's great kind of bringing that awareness in uh, as well. So let's talk a little bit about maybe the, the success that you've had investing in this space, because I personally find 
you know, this space that you're in, you know, we can call it, you know, the, the acronym would be CPG investing, right? Consumer packaged goods. This is kind of a tricky space to invest in, but when you know it, it can be an incredible investment and you know this really well. So I'd love to hear some of your insight on this and how you've done well with your dollars outside of Four Sigmatic. Yeah, I would say um, if you're new to this space, don't invest in CPG venture. If you can invest in CPG-centric private equity, if you have the capital for it, it's very lucrative. I believe it's the number two highest IRR category in private equity after software as a service, beating many other large categories. But in venture, it's very difficult. Um, Why is it difficult? Well, there's a few reasons. First of all, almost all CPG products are indefensible. So anybody can enter and copy the product. Like we don't own mushrooms. Like, you know, anybody could in a way copy our product. Think of Coca-Cola, like, oh, it's such a secret recipe. It's not that much of a secret. Like you do a blind test and often Pepsi or some other product wins despite people's emotional response. But it's pretty well proven now that like you can reverse engineer recipes and products. So Indefensible business challenge, often high velocity, high volume, low margin business. Some exceptions, some worse categories than others, but it's a real game of scale to be profitable. Good news is once you hit that scale, which is why private equity usually wins, is it's pretty stable. Like people drink coffee, like they're going to drink coffee, buy snacks, yada, yada, yada. So when you hit that, Weirdly, you can protect it. And once you hit the large distribution channels, you can also protect it. So it's it's like an oil tanker than a speedboat. Maybe in the beginning, it's a little bit more like a speedboat, right? So yeah, it's challenging. And unless you know what you do, even though if your cousin or neighbor has an awesome muffin brand, probably stay away from investing in CPG. Even if you love the product, there's nothing wrong being a consumer and loving a product versus investing in it. But if you know what you're doing and you can kind of navigate the operator risk, product risk, category risk, and terms, then I think there are some awesome opportunities. And ideally, you invest in something that gives you a profit, but also makes the world a better place through these beautiful products. But if you are new to it, I would say stay away from early stage CPG deals. Yeah. And by the way, just to help clarify here. It's important. So you deciphered between venture investing and private equity investing, you know, and and on the venture side, it's generally earlier stage. It's unproven. This is like maybe a new concept, a new fad or health product or whatever. So we don't know yet what the market's going to say. It might be a home run. It may not be a home run. It might be a home run for like one year and then fizzle out and just be dead versus in that private equity stage, you have a track record. You you see that the market wants it. You've got, I mean, private equity generally doesn't invest unless there's, there's profit. It's a profitable company. It's proven. Uh, and so I just want to clarify that for people because it is so easy to get sucked into this CPG category because there's always something new that some of us healthy, you know, minded or health conscious people want to try, or we just did this. This is incredible. It's going to take off because we had a good experience. But if people never learn about it, how can they have that experience? You could have the best product, but a team that can't get it out there or doesn't have the funding to get it there and it's never going to go anywhere. Right. Totally. And 
again, there are great exceptions and I've been lucky to be part of a few of them, but generally like there's nothing wrong you being a consumer to an awesome product, but necessarily not an investor, right? There's nothing wrong with that. And then on the other hand, it's sometimes hard for any investing to not, we like to look at ourselves as consumers, especially any consumer product, not not just CPG, but we think of ourselves, like if we love it. But sometimes you got to be honest, maybe you are not the consumer. And is your consumer habits scalable or attractive, right? And, uh, you know, I'm a weird Finnish guy. And sometimes I like to buy products that probably don't have a lot of market outside of weird Finnish guys. So, yeah, that's um, something to keep in mind. But I don't want to deter. There's many awesome, great success stories. But I also know there's a massive graveyard next to it. Yeah. And conversely, as an investor, you kind of have to get out of the consumer mindset and the consumer role because some things take off. And for me, I would never use it. So it like, it makes no sense. So, you know, the consumer side of me would say no way, but sometimes you got to look at it from that investor frame. But at the same time, I think that the consumer frame often is that one, two punch, but it, it is funny how completely different, like there are some products that took off that I never thought they would. And some other products that I thought would take off and they didn't. Uh, and it is really kind of funny. And some of it's timing, some of it's how much capital is behind it, who are the influencers behind it, but it's, it is a tricky space. That's been my experience. Yeah. And, and there's also a difference between, let's say, technology startups and early stage ventures also fail at a high rate, but because they are defensible, there's intellectual property, there's customer lock-in, there's other ways how data plays, which you can add value over many, many years where then the multiple and the upside, especially with digital products, scale quite nicely. So once you hit product market fit, it scales a lot better than physical goods. So let's assume even if your hit rate on startups and CPG is better, you succeed in two out of 10, but in tech, you achieve one out of 10. The one could be so outsized that it actually, the blended portfolio performs better. So that's also something to keep in mind between... um, let's say technology and CPG. Hey, I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a special offer that I created for the lifestyle investor community. When I look back at my investing journey, there's one specific investment in particular that was the spark to increasing my net worth and allowing me to leave my job to become a lifestyle investor. I'm talking about mobile home parks. Yes, mobile home parks. If you just cringed a little, that's exactly why these provide such a great opportunity because of the negative stigma and stereotype people might have. In reality, this is an incredible investment that you can get into with little or no money down. You can also quickly get a return on your capital. You can immediately cash flow on day one. You can hold it forever as a cash cow. You get accelerated depreciation to reduce or eliminate the taxes that you would owe. And often the seller will finance the deal so you don't need a bank. You can also buy them at the highest cap rate of all real estate, meaning it's the cheapest real estate to buy based on the income that it generates. And it's the lowest default rate of all real estate, meaning it's the safest asset class to own in real estate. I use this asset class to start my journey in real estate investing and grow my net worth to over eight figures all before I turned 40. 
And out of all the questions that people ask me, how do I get into mobile home parks is still the number one question that I get, which is why I put together this mobile home park masterclass. This is a paid class that I'm offering for a limited time only. For all the details, head over to justindonald.com forward slash MHP and watch the video, which outlines all the details about the class and exactly what you get when you sign up. You'll also hear the incredible success stories from students who have gone through my content and are now making hundreds of thousands of dollars in passive income. If you want to take the same first step that I did that helped me take both my wife and I from working full-time jobs to becoming lifestyle investors, join me in my mobile home park masterclass and let's get started on your journey to becoming a lifestyle investor. Visit justindonald.com forward slash MHP for all the details. There's no doubt. And part of the reason that SaaS is in that number one category is because you have, it it only takes one, right? One deal often makes the entire portfolio. And it's crazy how that happens and how big, like the, the ceiling is so high on something like that. Your multiple is based on revenue. It's not based on EBITDA or some other financial calculation dealing with profit. Uh, and so, you know, it's it's an interesting, you know, way of looking at those numbers. And so I think that, and by the way, you, you said it very well, that venture investing, even on the SaaS side is super risky. And once you have more of a proven concept, this thing's profitable. It's another category, at least in terms of safety and proof of concept, market fit, all that. Now, when you talk about defensibility, a lot of this can be the IP, right? A lot of this can be uh, like, what are all the ways that you look at an investment and say, hey, this is good. The moat that they have built is so incredibly defensible that this makes a good investment. I do have an extra layer that is not necessarily a financial layer, but it is a layer of making the world a better place. I start with that layer. It doesn't always lead to the best investment decisions, but it's um, something I'm comfortable with. So I beat a product service. It has some sort of net positive vision for the world. And you can achieve that many ways. That's just important to me for me to get excited. But normally I look at, I look at the total market like how big is this market or how big this market could be. I look at the team and I look at their tactics because especially early on, you need to find these, uh, for lack of a better word, mousetraps, arbitrage. So you have to find a way how you outperform the average market. I mean, in software as a service, there's a little bit of a playbook on how to win, but in order to outperform your competitors, you got to have a new angle on how you acquire customers or how you produce the product or some fresh way to add leverage against competition. So I look at a lot of those. Not all of those are scalable. I just want that for the next two years before the next round of funding, they have a way to like have an angle of growth. Uh, usually it's growth oriented, almost always. And then terms, like what are the terms? There's some great investments I've passed that just had, I would say, pretty bad terms. And I felt like that didn't justify, especially now when venture valuations have gone up. Sometimes it's warranted because now entrepreneurs are wiser, especially second and third time entrepreneurs are wiser to know that like 
hey, the VC will still get their return if we win. So I have a little more leverage. I have a network, this and that. So sometimes it's warranted, but more often than not, I hear first-time entrepreneurs without a network, without experience to say, well, the guy next door got this multiple, so I need to get this multiple. And maybe sometimes the, the person next door had a reason why they got the multiple and you don't. So sometimes there's like a potential deal, but because how it's structured, it's risky, especially if it's capital intensive and the first rounds are structured poorly with participating preferred or the value too high. And I feel like raising capital will be an issue going forward. Sometimes it's just like not worth my risk profile because I'm an individual. I'm not a fund. I don't invest other people's money. Yeah. And so, and that I see it all the time. I see these valuations that are just ridiculous. I don't see how they get there. And in some cases you want to say, no, this is an absolute no based on the valuation. But if you like the company enough and you see where it's going, that's going to be the cheapest valuation you ever have a bite of the apple at. And so it's this weird, you know, dichotomy where you're like, all right, do I invest now? Even though it's, I think it's overvalued but I really think this is going to go well. And I'd like to get in because the next time is going to be way past that, you know, current valuation. Yeah. And I mean, different categories have different multiples, but let's say you have a business that is multiple of three, that is a number six player. And then you have a multiple four on a one or two, then probably you want to invest in the higher valued potentially a little overvalued, but positioned on the market as a one or two. There's a reason why probably they're positioned as a one or two. So sometimes it's worth paying up. That being said, when you probe further and you're like, why did you end up in this valuation? If it's like, if the reason is some kind of like, well, other people got it or this got it, or this lead investor said, okay, unless it's super credible lead investor, I'm usually like, "Mm, don't love that answer. If they say massive TAM, killer team, union economics through the roof, beating competition left and right, we're worth this. I actually respect that answer much more than the answer of like, well, other people had this valuation. Yeah. You know, there's, I mean, we could do a podcast just on valuations, terms, all this. I mean, we could have some fun with this. I'd love to hear if you're comfortable sharing some of the products or investments that you've invested in that have done well, especially if there are any that we might know of. Yeah. I wonder which ones to mention. Aura Ring, which is a smart tracking device out of Finland. Represent oh, yeah. Finland. You have one, yeah. I have one. I'm an investor. Love them. Magic Spoon is a protein cereal. Example of um, maybe a higher valuation than normally would see, but I knew both of the founders for a long time and I'm thoroughly impressed with who they are as human beings and operators and they've done really well. So yeah, there's a couple examples of like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And and by the way, because of, you know, the the space that you've been in, because of being an entrepreneur, because of being an investor, you're kind of straddling both of those. And then, you know, used to live in LA, your network is just incredible. I mean, I just had a lot of fun like learning about who you know, who you've connected with, who you've collaborated with. I just want to give you props because your network is just incredible. And some of the conversations you have had with, you know, some of these brilliant people, some of the most brilliant people on planet earth, uh, just has to be uh, so inspiring and intriguing and stimulating. And I'd be curious if there's anything that you want to share in that space. Yeah, definitely not planned. 
a farm boy from Finland coming to the US, LA. I'll tell a story. I think the first or second night I landed in LA, we had a publicist in the beginning and they invited us to a Hollywood Hills party. So in Los Angeles, um, up in the mountains, a beautiful gazillion dollar home. And um, there's Warren G, which some of you might know, an old school rapper. Nice. And uh, there's a taco truck with free food. I'm a sucker for free food. So there was a Koji barbecue, Korean barbecue taco truck outside. And I'm just like new to LA and I'm looking down the Hollywood Hills. Definitely not my wife overall, but it was just insane that like second day and I'm like looking at the city lights and listening to Warren G rap while eating free food. And that was to me, it's like, well, hey, things are possible. But it was not planned. I've never tried to be transactional, try to get to know people. I, I guess I've done different unique things that attracts people who are curious and want to learn. So we've been lucky enough to have a lot of awesome people reach out or meet them. And then you get to learn from them as well. So that's that's been really helpful. But there's also a lot of glitz and glamour in America that uh, you know is very surface level. So um, yeah. There's not all of these gurus are uh, real gurus or even what they say. So yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. And, you know, I, I love that you look at relationships and people in a just what I would say is different than a lot of people where it is not transactional. And I think the reason you've been able to attract so many amazing people into your world and your ecosystem. And I'm talking about the who's who in the world of entrepreneurship and investing is because of that is because they can feel and tell that it's not transactional, that it's very authentic, very genuine. And you're just curious. You want to learn, you ask questions, you ask great questions. And so I think that that energy is very magnetic to people that probably hang in circles of influence that that is not the case. So very cool. Yeah. Also, it's a small world, especially in a large metropolitan city. So, and I mean, there's probably some exceptions, but, you know, that classic saying that we're always like one person away from like the U.S. president is, you know, pretty true for most people, even though it sounds crazy or you're two people away, you know, it's like, especially the digital age, it's possible to connect with a lot of surprising people. Well, I feel really, you know, fortunate that on your first day in Austin, your move to Austin, so you, you know, and one of your first days in, in LA, you got a chance to, you know, hang at a Warren G party. I feel blessed that I could be at a party with you on day one in Austin. All right. I know I don't carry that. Uh, you know, I'm not in the same category. I love Warren G as a rapper. I, I've really enjoyed uh, a lot of his music over the years, but why Austin? Why did you move here? I mean, LA is supposed to be the place. And it's funny because tons of people from LA are moving to Austin, as you know. But I'm curious for you, why did you move here? Yeah, I almost feel bad for some of the Austinites that all these people are moving in. But yeah, I moved here in uh, 2020 with my family. We were just about to have our first child. I knew I wanted to leave LA for a long time, even before we found out that we're expecting our kiddo, looking at different like quieter places, anywhere from Hawaii to Wyoming. And honestly, like my fiance, soon to be wife, loved Austin the best. And it was great because we have a lot of our influencers are here in Austin 
Whole Foods, HEB, Central Market, um, our Facebook and Amazon agencies were here and yada, yada, yada. So it just seemed like a good place. And then moving here, we've been blown away since we decided to move or how many other awesome people have moved in the communities, both from people who are from here and people who moved here. I mean, pretty impressive for the size of the city. Everything is five, 10 minutes, max 50 minutes away, but still you have awesome restaurants, great nature and community, which usually you don't get, you get one or the other, you get nature and quiet and no traffic, or you get awesome community and a lot of traffic and a lot of pollution. So, so far Austin has exceeded our expectations. Oh, that's great to hear. I want to be really careful that I don't build up Austin too much and you don't build up Austin too much because we don't need more people moving here. You know, obviously I, I love just all the cool people that I have met that have moved here. And, you know, I'm, I'm a transplant uh, about six years in at this point, but, you know, and I, I'm thankful to have a community that has welcomed me with open arms and that I can do the same for new people coming in. But, I got to agree with you at the highest level. I have never been in a place that attracts so many incredible people, big thinkers, but not just caring about the bottom line, also caring about social impact and, um, you know, just the way that their business can also align with other, you know, charitable organizations or educational things for legacy purposes or whatever it is. It, it's really just a place, a community that attracts a certain individual and it is an inspiring place to meet people and have conversations. Yeah, I agree. So what new projects are you excited about right now? Maybe it's uh, a new project within for Sigmatic. Maybe it's a, a new project outside. I'm just curious what you're most passionate about right now. Outside of obviously, you know, being a new father and, you know, soon to be husband. Yeah. I mean, obviously the family stuff is, is first and the community here in Austin, but outside of that, I'm just finishing my manuscript for my next book. Um, hopefully it comes out in the fall of 22, uh, with my publisher. So working on that. So hopefully can announce more soon. And then at four Sigmatic, I've definitely like, We've launched a lot of innovation after break, uh, like the creamers, the plant-based functional creamers that you got that I'm very excited about. Um, and honestly, seeing our team grow and evolve, you know, from a band of pirates to a ghost card, you know, over the years with just uh, no map, sailing wherever we think the gold is and kind of lost and tough life on the sea and then getting a little more organized feels good. And then, yeah, I'm... I'm ever curious about frontier technology and frontier science, particularly like hard sciences and nothing I can announce today, but hopefully like that's still like area of how you change the world is like true innovation. And, you know, sometimes in CPG there is true innovation, but oftentimes not. And, and I think like frontier science and frontier innovation is something I'm, I'm curious about, but as an entrepreneur, you can only do so much and you try to manage it all. So but yeah, those are things that I'm excited about right now. That's cool. Uh, so let me ask you this. You've, you've um, got an incredible lifestyle. You've got an incredible business. You've got even more important than that, an incredible family. You've got so much going for you, but it probably hasn't always been this way. 
the the entrepreneurial life is not an easy life. The investor life is not an easy life in the beginning. It can be further on. It doesn't, I mean, sometimes it's still not, but I'd love to know just some lessons learned as you've kind of grown up as an entrepreneur. Yeah, I, there's never a dull moment as a new parent or as an entrepreneur. Certain things get easier financially, particularly, but you know the stress and the pressures continue evolving. Things that have been true, there's a lot of lessons along the way, but usually time, time is a real magic sauce. Like Time heals a lot of things. Time solves a lot of things. I think a lot of entrepreneurs and people in general are very... We're type A, we want it now, sometimes entitlement. I, I can sense that from myself as well at times. And I'm like, hmm. And uh, just having patience and, you know, as an investor, compounding returns and as an, as an entrepreneur, like slow but steady progress um, really gets you far. It's, it's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's probably an ultra marathon. So even if you crush it, it's like five years. Like that's like unheard of fast. And it's probably more like 10 to 20, you know, so most entrepreneurs. So time is a huge factor. People, if I meet entrepreneurs or other business people, and we start to talk like, what's our challenges in the professional side, it almost always is somehow related to people, be it investors, team, I get some with people. So you know, technology has taken a lot of that away and we're very automated and self-service, but people still matter. And especially now with the stressors of COVID, like a lot of people have left companies, a lot of people have burned out, yada, 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 questioning their life purpose, which is, I think, awesome. But people, it's very difficult to lead people. I find my own boundaries very quickly as a leader, but it's also super important. And then I would say customer is like, the more you can listen to customers, it's like a whole art, but getting consumer feedback, customer feedback, customer intimacy. It's not the only way to win. You can win with scale and operational excellence. You can win by having the best product, but definitely like having customer intimacy often helps solve a lot of problems in the product and the business. Yeah, that's, that's great. I mean, well thought out there. I love your comment about more people waking up and pursuing their life's purpose. I think that's so amazing. Like get off of autopilot, get onto intentional reality, purposeful living, you know, figuring out what it is that you enjoy, where your gifts align and talents align with, with, you know, the things that you want to do, the things that you take enjoyment from or, or gain fulfillment from. So I, I think that that's incredible. Very few people are able to span that chasm of being an, a successful entrepreneur and a successful investor. Generally speaking, successful entrepreneurs don't do well investing successful investors don't do well in as an entrepreneur and it takes just a special person to be able to bridge that gap and figure out how to make both work because it's two different skill sets though there are some synergies and and as you gain expertise in a certain industry that may give you some added advantage but that doesn't mean that it's actually easy and i i think it's great that you've been able to do both but more important than that is that you have figured out the balance in your life to live a good life that 
uh, is on your terms. And that's why I wanted you here is to, you know, for people to hear your story, you're a very successful founder, CEO, and investor, but you put life first, you put family first, but you still make the time for all the other things. And it's very admirable. And I want to wish you well on this next journey. And I'm just excited for having you on the show. And I'd love to find out from you where people can learn more about you and learn more about Four Sigmatic. Yeah, you can find Four Sigmatic on all social medias and online at your favorite store. It's F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C. I'm not on social media. I've never had Facebook. I do have Instagram, which I'm not using currently. I'm on a at least a six-month hiatus, completely deleted it. You know, talk about putting family first. Like if I would put family first, I would not stare at computers or phones. So definitely it's like a forever balancing act. And sometimes you have to give up on certain things to get what you want. And social media has been one of those things, TV. So all great things and a lot of value in them, but hard to manage all things at the same time. So you got to say no to something. So I'm, I'm pretty hard to find, but hopefully in the fall, there'll be a book that you can get on Barnes and Noble and, you know, Amazon and whatnot. And yeah, maybe that's a way to connect with me when it's out. I had a mentor of mine tell me this a long time ago. He said, too much of a good thing is not always a good thing. And that has just always stuck with me because things in moderation are great. Even healthy things in moderation are great, but to do healthy things beyond moderation to even, you know, even working out, you could say working out is so good. It's so healthy, but what happens when working out becomes the most important thing and trumps everything else, trumps relationships, you know, that that's when too much of a good thing isn't a good thing. And so I love that you're, you have the discipline to be able to just tune it out, close it up, say, Hey, social media, you're going on a break so I can be more present with those I need to be present with. Very cool. Well, I want to end our show today uh, as I always end it. And by the way, Taro, this has just been great. I love our time together. You are a wealth of knowledge and just an incredibly interesting person with with such a cool story. So thank you for sharing. And to all my listeners, to those of you watching, what's one step you can take today towards financial freedom and towards a life that is one on your terms, one that you truly desire, that's not on default, but is a life by design. It only takes one step. What's that step today? Thanks, and I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Lifestyle Investor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. You can also leave an honest rating and review over on iTunes. Not only do I read every single one, but it also helps me understand what content matters the most to our audience. And if you can think of one or two people who could benefit from this episode, would you share it with them right now? Who knows? Maybe they'll buy you something nice when they make their first million. If you would like access to today's show notes, including links to all the resources mentioned, visit www.justindonald.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next week for another episode of The Lifestyle Investor.